Hey friend, it's David Abinsky here in New York City. So I wanted to share with you a new bonus podcast episode. And this one is going to be on a book that I recently read called Range, written by David Epstein. This book had become recommended uh, by many people and also uh, many people that have identified with a portfolio career have talked about this book. And so I wanted to share it with you. The headline of the book is Why Generals Triumph in a Specialized World. And uh, the book was really great. And um, so uh, what I wanted to do was to share some some key takeaways from the book, some core ideas, how I'm thinking about the book um, for my portfolio career, and how I think some ways, some practical ways to apply some of these ideas and principles into some of your work. Um, so in short and in summary, think about range as potential um, or distribution uh, for some of your work, for your skills. Um, so, you know, you could easily think about a range being in a small little community or ideally across the internet and the world. So if you have range that spans all the way across, then your opportunities are a lot more than if they were just in a smaller group. And so as a generalist, it means that you have skills that can apply to a lot of different areas. So the range for your work and for your and the things that you can you know, bounce around to um, is really high. So it's important to think about developing skills, relationships, and projects that can go across all these a lot of different domains. So you could be useful and so you could be helpful so that you could learn, you could grow in all these different areas. And one of the main myths in this book uh, that's debunked in the book is that actually just starts right off in the first chapter, which is um, related to Tiger Woods and Roger Federer. So Tiger Woods grew up, started playing golf at a really, really early age, and it was just known and that he was going to be um, the best and a world leader. Um, and so he just continued to uh, train, to develop uh, at a world-class level at an early age and just kept on doing that, kept on doing that, kept on doing that. Uh, compared to Roger Federer, who he actually didn't play tennis too much later into his his development, but yet he still was able to have uh, one of the best tennis careers of all time. And so how is that? Why is that? And so if we look at and applying these types of lenses to knowledge workers, it's really interesting and really uh, hopefully helpful to think that you know, we don't have to be into a certain domain, a certain area, and then we can be a late starter um, and that all the different work and projects and things that we've been doing, experimenting along the way, um, will actually come back to us down the road and that we don't have to punish ourselves of not thinking that we are in the right spot or that we wasted our time. Um, it all adds up as long as we're continuing to learn, continuing to grow, continuing to develop, continuing to innovate. And so that's what's really interesting about you start at the start of this book. So in the book, there's actually a lot of different studies and anecdotes and case studies and 
Um, so I really encourage you to dive in there. It's almost like you could pick up and just read one of these uh, case studies and, and, and anecdotes and stuff and really just have a quick uh, perspective shift just by any one of them. Uh, and so one um, one thing one thing that's popular in call it the technology sector is around this idea of that um, you have to be a you know a hotshot CEO at the age of eighteen and twenty twenty two and if not then you're not going to make it. And what's actually uh, there's a study out there that shows that uh, most CEOs of tech companies. Um, and fastest growing companies are actually aged 45 on average. Um, and what that points to is that the 45 years they've been developing a big range of experiences, skills, and as opposed to somebody that's younger, that their perspective is just a lot more narrow. So it's really interesting to think about that. And so also uh, one of the main ideas around in the book is around chunking of work and repetitive patterns. So so often when we learn something for the first time, uh, there's a ramping up curve and then we are able to do it over and over and over again in a really repetitive manner. Um, and while that means that we can be a little bit more efficient, we're not actually developing that much new incremental learning. Um, so whenever something feels really repetitive, um, it may feel easy, feel good because you're doing well. Uh, but the problem is that you, you're not exposing yourself to new learning. Um, and so, you know, that's why uh, it's important to choose uh, courage over comfort sometimes. Um, and especially as it relates to certain roles or projects and things like that. So, um, you know, Feeling comfortable is good, um, but try not to do it for too long. There was also a lot of different interesting studies related to sports, as I mentioned with tennis and golf. Uh, a key term in the book talks about how we're we're all the game that we're actually playing is called Martian tennis, and that you can see players on the court uh, with balls and rackets, uh, but nobody has shared the rules, and that it's up to you to derive them and that they're subject to change without notice. Um, and so, you know, even when we find ourselves working, we kind of know what's going on, we kind of know uh, what to do, we kind of know our role, we kind of know our place, um, but there's so much ambiguity and so much can change so quickly. So um, this analogy of there's so much ambiguity and, and so much to uh, be processing and, and also to take uh, advantage of is really exciting um, compared to playing sports and playing other games that are more defined. So this this openness creates a range of opportunities for us, uh, for us to seek out and to explore, to knock on doors that may seem that they're closed. So Martian tennis. Another core idea was around career streams. And this came from a, a study uh, from Christopher Connolly in 1979, and that was being able to take information from one area and to apply it to another area. Um, and so this also relates to a couple other chapters in the book around kind of lateral thinking and outsider's perspective. Um, and so I think this was a really interesting insight 
to think about, you know, what are the different ways that you could apply a certain lens, a certain viewpoint, a certain way that you solved a certain problem, and also then different skill sets from prior experiences into the current field that you're in now or into another field, maybe even at the same time. So career streams. Another core idea was around how musicians often, when they're growing up, they learn a bunch of instruments uh, to get started. Um, And they are just developing and figuring out really what, kind of just picking it up instrument and learning along the way. And a lot of these musicians are self-taught and and that's how they become good. And that's how they figure out what really fits. And so there's a lot of parallels here to uh, the work that we get to do and that the opportunities that we have to be self-taught as well. Um, you know, there's plenty of ways to learn, hopefully maybe from this podcast, um, but also from, you know, YouTube, from taking courses, from taking workshops, from asking people, from writing online um, to uh, you name it. There's just a lot of opportunities for us to learn if we have the desire to learn, just like musicians. Another key term was uh, the hypercorrection effect. Um, the hypercorrection effect. This one's really interesting. So, the nugget here is that um, the more confident a learner is of the wrong answer, the better the information sticks when they subsequently learn the right answer. And so, tolerating big mistakes can create the best learning opportunities. How's that sound or how's that sit with you? We all know the big mistakes or the big failures that we've had. It probably are still in the back of our mind. The key term here is confidence. So maybe there's something that, and this will go into this point in a little bit later too, but we could be very confident on something right now that could actually be wrong. While that creates an opportunity for us to then eventually learn, it's also just to think back about um, what are we really confident about and why is that? Is that just because it's something we've been doing for a while Um, or is it based upon actual first principles Um, or is it based upon something else, something that somebody else said, a story that we started to believe? Um, This is a really interesting, really interesting idea here. The hypercorrection effect kind of reminds me of when I was growing up and um, (laughs) I started doing certain things and then, you know, my parents didn't like it. And um, they said, don't do that. That's wrong. And uh, that really stuck with me. And you can really remember those feelings when someone says the thing that you're doing uh, is actually wrong. So yeah, grateful for the lesson that my parents taught me there. Um, Okay. Another idea is this around this idea of spacing. And the space between learning creates hardness and that hardness deepens our learning. Again, going back to this idea of whenever you learn something new or that you're going from beginner to intermediate or intermediate to expert, um, you're ramping up a curve here. And then if you completely stop doing that, cut it off cold turkey you still remember how to do it a little bit and you'll slowly over time 
not be as proficient as you once were, but that gives you ability to then go learn something else, to develop more range, more capability, more capacity. And then when you go back to that thing, like riding a bike, well, actually, I don't know how to ride a bike, but um, rollerblades for me. So if I was if I was able to go back to rollerblades, I'd be able to do it right now. But in the beginning, it took me a little while to ramp up. So think about that in other areas that we do um, where we're allowed to use the spacing to our, our advantage to put something on hold for a little while and then go back to it and that it's still there. But we'll have this diversity of skills, this portfolio of skills that will ultimately make us more capable, stronger, more resilient. Okay, and then another great idea was this around learning slow. And to be conscious about the things that we choose to learn and when. And it ties back to this idea of a head start on things. So, you know, Tiger Woods got a head start on playing golf. Bill Gates got a head start on using computers. But if there are things that we know that we are eventually going to learn, um, that we may not need to know this moment, but we could learn something that is more important, more urgent, uh, more lasting, more long-term, then we should look to do that. And the key word here is an advantage. So uh, I learned to read, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, something like that, Uh, maybe a little bit earlier. A lot of people know how to read. So the difference between that's not as much of a, the benefits of learning a little bit earlier how to read didn't have much of a difference between me and many other people. But there's probably other things that um, if you learn slow, uh, particularly around complex situations, complex uh, problem solving, learning how to grow a business as an example, getting a head start on something like that is a really good skill to learn. And then those things, you'll be able to learn them deeply compared to something that's fleeting. So yeah, it's just a really interesting way to to look at when you're starting to learn something new to think about, well, is this something that is a quick fleeting thing or is this something that is really a lasting, long-term, high-quality type of learning situation? If so, I'm going to slow it down. And I really want to go deep into this so that I have a really firm understanding on what this is. Because our time is so precious and... Um, the capacity that we have uh, can be fleeting. Okay, and then this other idea was around what I talked about earlier too, which is around confidence related to the hypercorrection effect. But here they pointed out this idea around that investors um, put more confidence into the returns that they thought for their own investments compared to investments that were not theirs. And so what happens here, this goes back to like cognitive biases that we have, the story that we tell ourselves, the confidence that we have in our own beliefs, the own things that we're doing. Um, So that means that we could, if we choose to do something else, we could be more confident in that as well. 
So it's always about like wherever we're spending our time, it means that we're usually more confident in that as opposed to something else. That something else could be a lot better though. We don't know because we could be stuck into looking at this current thing as opposed to an outside experience, an outside perspective, an outside opportunity. And those outside things could increase our range. Something to think about of just looking at your current list of projects, looking at your current bets that you're placing, just to think about, you know, what really is the expected return or expected value or that you're getting from it compared to what could be out there. And then another great term in the book was called match quality. As people with portfolio careers um, that have worked in a lot of different fields that are maybe working on multiple things right now, uh, match quality breaks down the idea of fit between the work someone does and who they are, matching their abilities and their proclivities. So this is really interesting. We've all known that Um, or I can speak to certain experiences where it just really felt like I had a good fit. You know, you hear a lot about, um, with call it tech companies about, you know, founder market fit or product market fit, but the same thing happens with our, call it our work. Um, so how does it fit? And so, you know, you can, you know, same thing with relationships, right? You can kind of, you know, what the way that that feels. Um, so sometimes, gets a little bit tricky with trying to find work sometimes, but um, when you have that right match, it can really be a beautiful thing. So if you don't, I guess the takeaway here is if you don't have that match in the moment, um, to keep experimenting, keep innovating, keep tinkering um, so that you get a better match. There's a really great quote in the book here that, yeah, it just really stuck out to me. And it was, ask people where they're gritty and (laughs) I don't know why I love this one so much but it just jumped out at me and the word grit here we have usually heard it in terms of like does someone have persistence does somebody have confidence are they resourceful but the context of which they are in is really interesting like it's if you ask the situations in terms of where are you gritty not as like, oh, is this person gritty? There's there's nuance here, and I think that that's really interesting. So ask yourself, like, when have you been gritty and when have you have not been? Because when you've been gritty, uh, there probably is a pretty good match um, to the work that you were doing then, to those people that you're trying to serve, the skills that you were learning, et cetera. Um, it's maybe when you had a little bit more at stake, you really thought there was something to, to learn there. Um, yeah, so something to think about if ask yourself, you know, what are the environments where you think you'd really, uh, shine and perform and work hard. And then this, there was a really, my favorite chapter in the book actually was this, um, and maybe it's just cause it's got a really catchy title, but, um, flirting with your best possible self. And what I love about it is the word flirting. And, and I think that this really speaks to the, um, we don't really know what will happen in the future. We don't really know um, the conversation that we'll have, the opportunities that we'll have, the chances that we will take. But flirting with what our best possible self looks like, feels like, would how that would experience manifest itself, what 
that kind of feeling, what that would look like. It's really interesting thing to think about. And I know it gets a little bit cliche when people say like, oh, what's your dream job and things like that, but kind of maybe break it down a little bit more in terms of flirting with it. So let's get a little bit closer. What is the, what are the types of roles that you've done in the past that really felt good? What could that look like today? What could that look like in the future? Um, and maybe just kind of run some scenarios and think about that. Um, and maybe try to put yourself into those different areas. Um, so in this, in this chapter, um, there was a really amazing, inspiring story about a woman who her career didn't really pick up until the mid fifties. Um, but then she, <laughs> because she was volunteering and really was just living her best possible self, um, started to really skyrocket from there. And her name is Frances Hesselbien. Um, I hope I didn't get that um, wrong, but but she just had a really inspiring and remarkable story of how then she became the CEO of Girl Scouts of the USA and just um, the CEO of Leadership Institute and ended up working with uh, Peter Drucker and um, yeah, just a really amazing, incredible story. And it started off actually just from volunteering just because she loved doing the work. So um, yeah, flirting with your best possible self. And then going back to the idea of match quality, another way to think about it is to dive into the things in a way that gives you a maximum signal about yourself. So signal about yourself. Um, That's really interesting. So match quality, diving into things in a way that gives you the maximum signal about yourself. So we don't really know what's going to happen when we take that next step. We don't really know what's going to happen the next day, the next week, the next month, how things are going to develop. But each time we do these, we do learn about ourselves. We can reflect on that. How was that day? How was that project? How was that opportunity? What did I learn here? Um, And so that's the best is when we can learn from these things. And so you know, if we knew the answer ahead of time, then it'd be easy, but that's not the way things always work. Um, things develop and evolve and then we learn from it. So, um, that's a really great way to then going back to the flirting with your best possible selves is how do you kind of put yourself into environments that would give you the signal? Okay. I'm onto something here. This really feels right. Uh, this is really working for me and the people that I'm working with and the people that I seek to serve. And then uh, I'll kind of bucket this next, these next couple of ideas and kind of insights was around this, the kind of the topic of around kind of lateral thinking integrators. So Charles Darwin was actually considered a professional outsider and had um, 231 scientific pen pals. And so by talking to all these different people and really getting a lot of insights from them, he was able to pull it in and kind of formulate his own ideas and then take action on that. Um, And also that goes back to this idea around experimentation, taking a lot of chances, doing a lot of work, putting yourself out there. That's when we can really take a lot of swings if we were going to use like a baseball analogy. So yeah, we don't know what's going to work. We need to take chances. We need to experiment and do a lot of it. Okay, so then 
that's some of the main core ideas from the book. Again, really, really great book um, and a lot of great ideas in here that we'll all be able to uh, look back on. Um, definitely check it out and read it if you have not already. Um, and now I think that the core piece here comes down to uh, some more related action items here. So how do I think that you could grow your range? I kind of talked about it a little bit and kind of throughout the summary, but I think you have to put yourself out there, um, you know, take chances. Um, I think writing online is, or creating a podcast and um, creating other kind of assets and other things can uh, grow your range. Um, maybe there's a way that you think about doing a sprint on something for three months, six months, nine months, and just say, what would this look like if I just went you know, full steam ahead on this for a little while? How could I become proficient on this for a little while um, and then stop it and then learn from it? Another thing you could think about are what are these key skills that I have that are transferable to a lot of different areas? How could I continue to work on those? But also, where else could I apply these skills? Where else could I apply my experiences? Who needs me? Who, who, who would be glad when I showed up and said, you know, I've done these things in different fields. Here's the problems that I've solved. Here's the results that I've delivered. Here's how this business grew, um, et cetera. Um, I'd like to do the same thing for you all. You know, how can we grow this range, your own range, that increases the overall size of the portfolio? So those are just some ideas. I'd love to hear what you think. If you've read this book, um, would love to hear your thoughts. You know, some, some things that I'm thinking about about is how do I grow my range? So you know, I'm still thinking about the empathy email workshop that I did. Um, and then I turned that into a podcast episode. You know, how could I utilize those skills into other areas? What could I, what else could I do with that? You know, in addition to creating my own pod to this podcast, producing this podcast, um, you know, I'm also producing two other podcasts right now. So I'm utilizing those skills in other different areas. Um, I also kind of talked about some of this podcasting related work, um, another book review on Cal Newport's So Good They Can't Ignore You. So you can listen to that as well. You know, some things that I used to do, um, I used to really love volunteering for events, conferences, etc. Um, yeah, I just loved being a part of those kind of shared experiences, um, putting things together with other people. Unfortunately, in this environment right now, it's hard to do that, but there's some interesting things going on in online events, um, virtual conferences, etc. Um, you know, I think it's a, a time to experiment now. You know, I think the kind of the stakes are low. You don't need to travel <laughs> different places. Some of the times the events are relatively cheap. Um, but yeah, maybe see how you could get involved, maybe host an event, maybe want to co-host an event, um, or also just being active at these events and showing that you care, asking good questions, that really shows that you care. So if you did like, you know, 20 events in a month and like you can meet a bunch of people, you know, now, you know, we're all 
you know, on these Zoom rooms and stuff like that, we're all in the kind of same level playing field here to some extent. So um, I think there's there's definitely some opportunities to um, kind of volunteer, help out with different online events as a way to learn and connect with people. But yeah, I think I'm still kind of processing um, some ways about how to increase my range. Um, I feel like I'm, you know, have identified some core skills in terms of email communication, podcasting, digital media. You know, there's some other skills that maybe I might look to develop, but um, some more website design, um, some more advanced email newsletter skills. But yeah, so I think that that's that. I don't really see too much else difference for me, but maybe I've got a blind spot to some of that stuff. But I think I'm really excited about the stuff that I'm working on. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I'm thinking about this, how I think some ideas for you as well. Would love to hear your thoughts to this podcast episode. But yeah, maybe we can start thinking about this idea about increasing range um, with your portfolio career more and more here. But I think it's a really useful one. And I think that's also been a common theme and thread between um, the guests that they just have a lot of range. Um, they're an expert in multiple areas. I've done a lot of work in a lot of different areas, launched a project, wrote a book, moved on to something else. I think that shows a lot of range. So yeah, thanks for listening to this episode and the experiments. A lot of people really enjoyed the last podcast episode about books so good they can't ignore you. So I wanted to read this book and I wanted to share it for you. So as always, let me know if you have any questions. Uh, Feel free to subscribe to uh, my one email away newsletter at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.